with rising CPA costs on digital, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, like it's getting more and more expensive to, to win over a customer on, on online. I, like if you back into like what your product costs are, it might actually be cheaper for you to sample in real life. Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn how to build a business relationship with manufacturers before you ever have customers, how they were able to achieve a 30% repeat purchase rate, and how to use sampling to get customers to try out your product for the first time. Before our show, I wanted to chat about Shopify shipping. Did you know that you can buy shipping labels for your orders at home and print them with a regular printer, get shipping insurance within the United States, and receive discounted shipping rates with certain carriers with Shopify shipping? There are no additional fees, carrier account, or app required. This is included with your Shopify plan, so check out Shopify shipping today at shopify.com slash ship. Today, I'm joined by Kent and Ryan from Neuro. Neuro puts health in your pockets with functional gum and mints made to better body and mind and was started in 2015 and based out of Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Kent and Ryan. Hey, hey. Thanks for having us. Hello, hello. Yeah, so you two had a lot going on and still have a lot going on in life when you decided to start Neuro. Tell us more about what what was your life situation that motivated you to start the company? Oh, man. <laughs> I think um, for Ryan and I, we've always kind of been on the go people. And f- for example, like in, in college, I was training uh, pretty heavily in martial arts. Um, Ryan used to be one of the fastest kids in California. He was captain of his cross country team, took them to state and nationals. And in that same mindset, it kind of made sense for us to create a product that fit into that lifestyle. You know, during during college, I was mixing supplements that was. Uh, supplementing my school and my training and essentially that ended up becoming v zero of what we see now as neuro gum and neuro mints so it was it just came out of who we were as individuals and what we were doing yeah so it sounds like you you guys were just trying to piece this together maybe before even the idea of a business or a product came to mind you're just trying to piece it together for for your own life like what was out in the market at the time that made you both say that this is what's out in the market is just not sufficient for for your needs yeah i mean so kent and i met in college uh i was a freshman kent was a sophomore uh for me i was immediately gravitated toward kent um just his energy his vibe um, and, and, you know, found out he was, you know, training super heavily in martial arts. He was doing neuroscience. I was doing chem and econ and, you know, we bonded over things, not just academic, but outside of the classroom too, you know, the extracurricular activities, just wanting to do more. And that was really the time when like, you know, Red Bull is really being handed out on campus, you know, coffee was a thing, but like people were taking like everything to get ahead in studies, like Adderall and like all this stuff. And we're just like, that's stuff that you shouldn't be putting in your body. And, um, and, you know, Kent was, you know, as, as a neuroscientist, he was really looking into the best type of supplements to actually put in your body. And he was heavy, heavily um, researching which ingredients were actually working. And so I remember going into his dorm room and he just had all these white powders. It was like a Scarface den. And he was, he knew he was like this, this, and this works perfectly. The caffeine and l is like, what's going to allow you not to crash, but give you like a sustainable boost. 
you're always like going to be a little bit B deficient, you know, and you're just like supplementing your body while training at that level was like super key. Um, and so, yeah, that, those are the alternatives. So for us, we had like the purest form and that kind of came from uh, Kent's research, Kent's, uh, Kent's little Scarface den. I like that description. I can, I can imagine in my head what that looks like. So you <laughs> yeah. guys had these, uh, these, um, you had, you created your own, your own solutions yourselves. Was it always with the intention of, of creating a product to sell or when did that kind of spark come into your minds? During a scuba diving trip, basically like, I mean, this is like way after college, you know, Ryan and I remain friends. Um, but 2015, Ryan and I were on a scuba diving trip together and we were still taking these supplements in pill form that were in like a Ziploc bag. And that does not look good when you bust it out in front of a bunch of people on a, on a small boat um, and be like, hey, it's for energy. So, uh, you know, Ryan and I kind of looked at each other and we realized like, oh, like these are great, but how do we make it more approachable? How do we create a product that like gives you the same benefits of what we were taking but without the weird looks with a shareable component and with the same effectiveness. So we got to thinking and the obvious choice, you know, outside of like, cause drinks you can't keep in your pocket and they taste terrible if they're not chilled coffee. Definitely not. You know, it's, it stains your teeth, like all, all those like different factors. Um, and it, it dawned on us that the most one of the most approachable form factors is just confectionaries, gum and mints, things that are intrinsically shareable by nature. And we just got to cranking. That, that's interesting that, that you had this, this, this product that worked, but you had realized that the medium or the form factor, as you called it, uh, matters. And I think that at this kind of crossroads, people either decide, you know what, I'm going to stick to my guns and continue to kind of work with it as a pill, maybe introduce it to the market as a pill. But you decided that what's more important is to make it, I guess, more approachable. Was this a hard decision to make? You know, there are obviously lots of products in the market that continue to maybe uh, leverage or rely on the fact that, oh, it's pill, it's maybe more effective or maybe it's more, you know, science-based or maybe some people might think it's more dangerous. Um, but was it a hard decision to decide the kind of trade-offs between the form factor as like a pill versus like a confectionery? That's a, that's a really good point. Actually, for us, we knew that we could put the best ingredients that are in pill form and then just change the medium into something that was more accessible and approachable. You know, whenever you're going out or you're studying, you know, you're, you're, you know, drinking, you're drinking things that are caffeinated, but instead, like you have something where you're reducing the amount of liquid you're putting in your body, you're taking out the sugar completely. Um, we were like, well, eventually, you know, people are going to figure out this is the best way to, to consume energy. And so we never, I guess when you're starting out something, you don't think about all the, the, um, like all the roadblocks you're going to mm. get, you're going to have along the way, or you probably get you know, discouraged and frustrated and not started at all. But we were young enough and naive to where we're like, this is, this is works for us. It has to work for other people. And, and, you know, when we were able to launch this campaign on Indiegogo, Kent um, and Tyler, who's, you know, still on our team, um, you know, figured out a way to, to reach out to all these PR outlets. We, we ended up launching it on Indiegogo, hit our goal in three days, got picked up by Dr. Oz and Time Magazine. And, and, and from there, like we were, we realized that people do want something like this. People are, are looking for something. They just didn't realize what they were looking for. Yeah. Okay. So, so coming out of this scuba dive trip where you realized that again, the form factor matters and 
was it at that moment too that you saw a business opportunity or was it prior to that that you were maybe even trying to sell like the the pill form at that time i think we were business savvy at all then because <laughs> neither <laughs> of us came from backgrounds in business um, it was more so just like oh my god this would be so great in gum and mint form like and we should oh, figure okay. out how to make it <laughs> and so there is there's definitely like uh in business in general right it's like how do you fit a need and the need for us was a more approachable energy that's not in drink form that you could carry around in your pocket and yeah step by step it turned into like oh wow like this could act more than us uh, like more people than us may want this same thing and here we are today yeah. So, so you, you wanted to just create this product again. You, you weren't, you didn't have the, the business hat on at the time. And were you, when you decided, okay, let's create this in gum form, were you able to do that in the kind of your own kind of home kitchen still at the time? Or when was it kind of more of a, a, a productionized thing? Yeah, I had to go straight into production. Um, gum, gum and mints are actually very tricky to make. It's not like, um, I don't know, like mm-hmm. making a, maybe a bar, you can mix together the ingredients, you can smash it together. You might be able to bake it. Um, with drinks, same thing. You might be able to do small batches to test the flavor. But with gum and mints, it's it's really tricky. Um, and so we, we didn't start off with mints. Actually, we started with gum. And so we had to go directly to, to Google to find gum manufacturers um, got rejected a million times, uh, and then finally found one that was the perfect fit. And it was like literally just going down, calling, emailing, reaching out to, to people who can uh, one, pick up the call, but two listen to, listen to what we were trying to do. Cause it was so, it was so novel and new at the time. Yeah. I've heard of this challenge happening for a lot of entrepreneurs where they have an idea that's just not a path that a manufacturer has walked down before, and which is a great opportunity, right? But then also Absolutely. a challenge to get the manufacturer on board. And you mentioned that there's this kind of process of getting rejected a bunch of times. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs have spoken about how you can kind of either make concessions at this point to go by what a manufacturer recommends you do, and then they'll accept you as a as a client, or you kind of stand your ground and really want to f- go with you know your original idea. Was this a, a moment where maybe some manufacturers were saying like, hey, you know, we can't do exactly what you're saying, or it's a crazy idea, we're not going to do it, but we can do this instead? Like, were you ever kind of teased by a you know a watered down version of your your idea there was a lot more just like you guys are just two you know 20 something year old kids we're not even going to entertain this Mm. from all the emails that we sent out there was probably like a five (laughs) percent response rate and it's it's that and there's also another element where it's it's interesting how with a lot of these businesses that you don't really think about larger corporations own the majority of it, the majority of the manufacturing process, at least in the United States, there's like an interconnected web of government manufacturers that are owned under one entity. So that was also like another hurdle we had to get over. Yeah. It was, it's kind of like a duopoly in yeah, terms of the manufacturing. Like coming yeah. in yeah. the block and so as you were getting like rejected d- during this process did you guys learn anything about how to improve your pitch it was just a matter of like you know keeping at it until you found a manufacturer that that worked or did you find ways to improve again pitching yourself to these manufacturers i think it was also like like 
going in with enough conviction that we were big enough to make, you know, this happen, make this work. I think for the manufacturer, they're, they're a business too. So they want to see the opportunity that you want to find the right entrepreneurial one, not one that's like, like, like you're saying, <laughs> I'm going to use the term now, a uh, big gum. Like they're, they're just like, okay, well, we already have all of our clients. We're happy. Like um, we, we don't want to rock the boat with like, you know, some incoming small company. That's an idea. Um, but with the right conviction and, and, and selling that story of why you want to do it, um, you, you find the right person or the right manufacturer and they're going to want to take on that challenge. And so for us, um, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been so long, but I remember, you know, we probably did change around the pitch a lot, you know, at that time, um, we wanted just R and D samples. Is this possible? Can we do it? Um, and, and that was really just the answer that we were looking for. It's like, if yes, then let's figure out the next step of like how to go to market and then how to advertise this thing. So, so it sounds like you need a, a, a match of just the, the an entrepreneurial manufacturer that wants to uh, that recognizes and wants to take on this this new opportunity. And then you also said that you do have to also go in and with enough conviction that you're big enough. Was it something that what does that mean? Like you got to present like data that hey, there's this opportunity here, or is it just a matter of like come in with a lot, a lot of energy? Like what does it mean to convince them that that there is a opportunity here? I think even like pitching to VCs or to anyone really, if you have the confidence and the drive to convince, to convince and deliver on something, then they will start believing in you. And with us getting on the phone with them, talking about this project, talking about this idea and the roadmap of where we wanted to take this thing became the, basically like the the catalyst. Like, and like you said earlier, like, was this like a practice session for our pitches? This was absolutely a practice session. And we got better and better at talking about the goals that we wanted to achieve. And that ultimately led to making a very personal and amazing partnership with who we work with now. Mm. Do you remember, sir, maybe inflection points in this uh, refining? I mean, you don't, you don't get into the details of your pitch, but like what specifically did you all of a sudden focus on when you approach manufacturers, then eventually in- investors that you found really kind of pushed the button or was your highest like, leverage point to get them on your side? You know, with like any, and this is, this applies just to e-commerce in general, like use, figure out who your cohorts are. And then you try to target messaging to them. And in the same way, that expands into the real world. In speaking with the manufacturers, the key points that they would have been interested in is how big is the potential market for us to be able to bring a product like this into the market? If Red Bull and Monster and all these energy drinks are have seen this like monumental growth, you know, in such a short period of time. Why can't we take that same idea and place it into something that's even easier to get and, e- and even more portable? Talking to our customers, though, it's more so like, hey, this is just way cleaner for you, way more portable, with way better ingredients, with a scientific <laughs> edge. Touching on points that, that basically, like, not necessarily in tech, on like existing like marketplace and existing products that are out there, but... More so like, hey, like where can we fit into your needs in the same way, like instead of pills, like the way gum and mints fit into our needs is we want to take this thing, everything we, everywhere we go. And we don't want it to look like we're a bunch of uh, 
that you know, quote unquote, scarf it like Al Pacino is running around. Mm, okay, so you found this partner, and I'm assuming this was before the crowd, the Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. So walk us through that that early timeline of the business relationship because you come in and you have a lot of conviction, you pitch them on this opportunity, um, but there's no no customers yet. So w- walk us through how you kind of cultivate a this kind of business relationship with the manufacturer. Yeah, I mean, at the time, we we didn't even fly up to, to meet them. It was all via like just email and phone calls and. And, uh, and at the time, like I was working full-time at Hulu, um, a streaming company, Kent was working at, um, a subsidiary, like sending Sony music, he was producing music, he was creating art. And like, we, we just kept going back and forth and, uh, we were getting like these like samples and like tiny little Ziploc bags. We still get samples like that to this day when we're doing new R and D by the way. So we have like new products, like with a multivitamin gummy mint coming out soon. Um, so it comes out in these little Ziploc bags, but uh, looks super sketchy. <laughs> and basically we were sampling around like friends and coworkers at the time of like, Hey, what do you guys think about this? And they would range from like the 20 milligram caffeine up to like the 80 milligram caffeine. And we we're just playing around with different ingredients, uh, flavors, um, like, you know, uh, like the sweeteners to, 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 to make it taste good, different types of gum bases to have like some, a harder chew or softer chew, um, and we were basically just getting, you know, all of our friends and, and coworkers to be little guinea pigs uh, to give us feedback. And, and that process was, you know, quite a bit. But then at the same time, we knew that if we didn't like launch, we were we weren't just we, it just wouldn't happen. There was no way we we're going to perfect it on the first go. So um, after a couple R&D runs um, quickly after we, we just had the Indiegogo run in tandem, actually, from the time that they were manufacturing it. So by the time. Uh, you know, the Indiegogo campaign ended, you know, the, the, the customers or the, the supporters um, basically shortly thereafter got the product. So um, from that experience, I think people are like, oh, wow, these, these guys delivered. Because I think sometimes you do Indiegogo or Kickstarter campaigns and it's like a year plus before you actually get the product that you, you backed and supported. Um, and so we, we did it at, at a pretty turn, quick turnaround. Mm. So, so during this R&D process, Talk to us about how, how long did, did that take? Like how, how much of a time investment was it? I think by the time we got it and actually had it on need to go to sell it, it was maybe, it was like probably close to a year, not quite a year, but almost there from like the time we like first like on an initial call or sent out all those emails. And did it feel like things are moving at that time? I think one of the the challenges for anyone out there that is just getting started for the first time or is about to embark on on any of these kind of um, entrepreneurial journeys is that the the drag of how long it takes it can kind of burn burn itself out. So talk oh, to us about sure. what it was like to kind of keep the the ball moving, even though it wasn't moving as fast as you probably wanted it to. Especially with the physical product, that it's mm-hmm. it's excruciatingly slow, but you know, with business, there's everything else that you can do. And for us, it was preparation of our launch plan and preparation of our website. Uh, still doing biz dev and meeting the right people to be able to make sure this is a success when we launch. All, there's always an infinite... And what, once you launch the business, like you need to scale out. But there's always an infinite number of things you can do in terms of preparation. And as long as you lay out the right roadmap and fill in the gaps that you feel are necessary to fill in for what would assumably be a, a, a successful launch. Um, you should be okay. And you to be purely dependent 
uh, just a product succeeding is like a one in a billion chance. And at least in my opinion, like it does happen, but it's everything else, the lifestyle, the, the dream you're selling, the people that are around you, the operations, all those things are what typically make a product successful alongside the product being great. Mm, that makes sense. And, and just, just kind of wrap it up on the product side. You said it took a year to go through this R&D process. Do you guys remember how many iterations of the samples it, it took before it felt good enough to go into the crowdfunding campaign? Yeah, I think it was, I mean, I can go back and email. I think it was like five different, we did first like two bags and then another three bags. And they're all like varying degrees of like the active ingredients and different types of sweeteners. And I remember some of the feedback, like my old manager who like treated it and like, like was like, man, like it definitely works. Like I was up to like 3 a.m., uh, but you guys can definitely work on the flavor. And, and we knew that it wasn't going to be perfect, but we knew we can improve that. And, and at that point, Kent and I realized like, you know, it was a, already an excruciating slow process doing R&D, especially with physical goods, especially with things that you're consuming, um, you know, with hardware tech like that, that already takes a long time, but something consumable, there's a lot of like, you know, regulation that you have to be careful over too. And like, there's other active ingredients that we're thinking about putting, but weren't, um, you know, they're FDA, like they're going through like clinical studies, but not quite fully FDA approved. So uh, there are certain ingredients that we like decide not to go down and not not to use. So, so these are like five different samples iterations to get at least the efficacy down to make sure that it was working. Like we knew it worked. Yeah, yeah, we knew it worked. And and that and at that point it was you know Kent and I were you know fueling this with our own savings, like things that you know we were working full time jobs and we were you know we we had like I said enough conviction to pay for. I think the R and D samples at the time were like maybe three or five grand per batch and. Wow. So over 20 grand almost. I think it was three to five grand to do like three. So I think like the three samples and the two samples, so total of maybe about 10 K. And then the first manufacturing run um, was like the minimum was like, I can't, I remember it was like maybe 25 or 30 K. Yeah, it was like and it was a lot. Ish. And so that's really when we realized like, let's try the Indiegogo to try to raise money to finish this out. Cause um at the time we were, like I said, we had no relationship with the manufacturer. They weren't getting any net terms. So we basically had to put like 50% down and then 50% on shipping. So the timing wise, it was like, as soon as we were getting some, some initial interest and getting some money into that Indiegogo, it allowed us to pay off um, kind of the remaining balance. And, uh, and from there we, we started to, to get some people who were interested in, in being repeat buyers. And, and to this day, I think we have like I'm pretty confident we have really one of the highest uh, repeat purchase rates for e-commerce. Oh, definitely want to get into really that. No, but before we get that, like you said, ten ten thousand right off the bat just to get to a a product, and then of the twenty five thirty k to to actually be able to to produce it. Um, did, at any point, did you guys ever look at each other and be like, "I'm not sure if this is like this is like kind of pushing up against your risk tolerance. Was that ever a thing where you're like, this is kind of eating too much into my savings? Like, how did you, A, if did that happen? And B, if it did, like, how did you guys overcome that? I, I think um, we, we overcame it by eating McDonald's, <laughs> this, this loophole in uh, McDonald's app <laughs> to get $2 burgers every single day. It was, it was actually yeah. the premium burger, Kent, if you remember. It was, uh, it was like this weird loophole in the McDonald's app where it's like you, with, you can get a premium burger or sandwich. Oh, like they're like daily deals or something? 
we can't eat a burger yeah, today. Yeah. It had like a grilled chicken sandwich and it was like with any purchase and there's like a, you know, 30 cent cookie. So you could buy the cookie and then get like a five or $6 <laughs> sandwich. Like the, the remix <laughs> to the, um, to the uh, ramen noodle uh, story of entrepreneurship. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> no, we, we did our fair share of the ramen noodles in college. So we wanted, you know, diversity. A little bit. <laughs> you get a little more luxury. We upgraded there. a little. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is more of a loophole. Uh, it was actually cheaper than the ramen. But anyway. What's crazy um, is like, I think when you, when we were that like age, I, I don't think we were even thinking about failure. And there were definitely moments where we're just like, oh God, like what's going to happen? But we had so many people who have like an amazing friend group that has always supported us. Um, we have like an amazing community just in general that, you know, was that seemed to be back in this project, at least from the Reddit side. And there was no moment where even if it did like, you know, knock on wood, I thank God it did it. But like, even if it did fail, every single step we were taking to make it a success was so exciting that it, there, there was almost like no way that it wouldn't have succeeded. And mm. every single, even like the learning experiences from setting up a business, yeah. learning what the word cohort means, you know, learning it, it just every aspect of how to sell a product was valuable in its own right. Yeah, I, th- I think this is an important point where it's almost like the, the journey or the act of starting a business was a success itself, regardless of the, the ultimate outcome. And yeah. I think this is important kind of almost mentality to, to keep, to keep you in the game, right. Rather than, cause I think a lot of times the entrepreneur is kind of self-sabotaging or they are their own kind of, you know, get in their own way. And you mentioned that at that time you guys weren't even thinking about failure. Do you think that that's like a good attribute to, to have back then? And especially now, is that still an attribute that you do have? I think, yeah, well, I think one way to look at it is like, there's no failure, but just a lot of lessons learned and and had something this, there's so many things that don't work out and maybe not consider failures, but those are just lessons. And for us, it was like Kent and I's MBA was like doing this business. And then the first year, two years, like everything's like light speed. You learn so much. So like, so quickly, and then you learn to adapt, you learn how to like, um, you know, you know, build that business relationship with the manufacturers, your partners, your distributors, um, your account managers, all that stuff. And, and whatever had happened, it's like you came away with this like book and treasure cove of like knowledge. And I think we've been able to apply that with other things, like whether that's us making investments into our friends' brands or different startups um, that we we can see and we can feel that same type of conviction that we had. Um, and Kent, you know, is, you know, has so many, his hands in so many different things. And I think a lot of the stuff that we learned, he's, he's been able to apply and same thing for me. Mm, makes sense. So when you, when the kind of the stakes are higher now where, you know, back then, you know, obviously a lot of your savings are, are involved now, but now there's probably p- people that are dependent on the business stakes are higher. How do you kind of keep this, this mentality going where you're kind of focused more on the success rather than being, uh, you know, paying attention or be obsessive about potential failures? Well, we always say that resilience is one of the most inqual- important qualities that an entrepreneur needs to have. And when the executive team or the people that are, you know, or even the managerial roles, maintain that mentality while also remaining conscious of who 
who who the people are that are working for you, it trickles down. And for us, our entire team does feel like a family. Like we all are very open with each other in communication. Where even when times are tough with like whether supply chain or like marketing elements not working, there's always this resilience and again like conviction that trickles down from the top to everyone on the team to make sure that it succeeds. And I think that just comes from, you know, hopefully the way we are, but also like the, the type of customers that we've been able to cultivate. And it's, it's an extension of just how you have to be in business in general from at least our learnings. Mm, makes sense. Okay, so let's talk about the, the crowdfunding campaign. So you guys had a product that, that worked. It sounds like you're still trying to nail down the the taste during this process. And it's also mentioned that during the R&D process for a year, you guys are still doing all the kind of periphery stuff that's you know just as important as you had mentioned um, to to get this thing off the ground. What was the the launch plan for for crowd for the crowdfunding campaign that allowed you to to exceed your your goal on on, on Indiegogo? So I was pretty active in the Reddit Nootropics community. Uh, that was basically it, it was like Web One forum. Uh, it was the early days of Reddit. A lot of people migrated there from Dig and. It, it was so great because the community felt so tight knit and pitching into that community was one of the biggest reasons that the crowdfunding what on Indiegogo was a success. But secondly, we were launching these PR campaigns, which was just now there's tools that allow you to use merge tags and send mass emails that, that are customized. But back, Back then, we didn't know about any of these tools. So like Ryan was saying earlier, Tyler and I just buckled down and we sent like 500 emails to 500 different publications that even talked about supplements or nootropics. And if you get you know, a 1% or 2% response rate, then that's a, one or, you know, that's, that's a percentage of publications that you could, you could use to show credibility and show validity. So I would say those, the combination of those two things were some of the biggest factors in, in the initial launch being a success and us being oversubscribed in less than three days. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now let's get back to the interview. Okay, so let's talk about the the kind of the Reddit. So you're looking for like a built-in community already um, in the Nootropics uh, subreddit. What was your approach to that community? Because I think, you know, I think other folks that have uh, launched successfully on Reddit, you can either have, you know, rabid fans that are ready to buy from you or the crowd can turn against you as quickly as they, they, oh, yeah. they love you. It's a tough crowd. It's a tough yeah. crowd. <laughs> What's your recommendation on how to, how to approach Reddit when you are... You know, essentially promoting a, a product, a business. Oh, just be as authentic as possible. And you know, I also think another part is like, I'm, <laughs> I'm that guy that always is on Reddit when I have free time, which is probably one of my worst uh, habits. But, I, you know, I have thousands and thousands and thousands of karma points. And I've also done like AMAs in our entrepreneur where we are super honest and transparent about all the tools we use all the marketing tactics we have used and 
people just appreciate that. It is like this shared ecosystem of, and our new topics, especially back in the day, it was a shared ecosystem of knowledge. And if you are willing to share as much as the other anonymous stranger that's also willing to share, it, it, it like feeds into itself. So don't be, you know, there's like an infamous Woody Harrelson incident where she went in and he had no idea what kind of community Reddit was. And he used it as like a platform to just pitch his new movie, Rampart. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and everyone should like look this up. But, and the Reddit community isn't there to be advertised to. They're there to get excited about something and to create discussion around it. And that's, you know, thankfully that's, that's kind of how we approach the launch. Just like, hey, you know, we launched this product. We've been in R&D for a year and we would love your thoughts on it. And it, it was just authentic at the end of the day. When you took the other approach of uh, pitching to different outlets, you mentioned that, uh, you know, lower response rate or high response rate. I'm not sure what it is for your particular industry, but you just wanted to kind of play that numbers game. Um, did you figure out ways also to refine the pitch to get uh, the, the outlets to, to care or pay attention to what you guys were doing? Oh, 100%. And there's, you know, follow-up tactics with emails now that, uh, are are known to be fairly effective and the personalization so <laughs> to our benefit sending every single email out and personalizing it to be like hey i noticed you wrote this article this is us this is like a picture of us and the product we're making and again like personalization being authentic has always worked for, for us even now like ryan and i constantly have put ourselves as the face of the product alongside everyone on the team. And it's kind of breaks down that barrier of what existed previously, which was, oh, like these big companies are creating 90% of the things you consume. But we're approaching this from the most genuine way possible to make sure we deliver the best product. And that was, you know, the same approach we used on Reddit, the same approach we used with, with reaching out to PR and the same approach that we still use now for any of our marketing. And it has always been the most effective tool for us. Okay. So, um, crowdfunding campaign kicked off. You guys had the community, you guys had the, the PR outlets. Was it immediate all of a sudden, you know, your, your, your campaign was filling up with, 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 uh, backers or like, was it a kind of a slow burn over a certain period of time? Like how quickly did you start seeing success from the crowdfunding campaign? We met our goal in, it was, it was crazy. I remember my phone was going off like nonstop. Like, I think we met our initial goal in less than a day. And then we hit like double our goal in 72 hours. So once we got onto the front, once we got that initial spark, that was like a catalyst to get us to the front page of Indiegogo, which then in turn became a catalyst for more people that weren't necessarily part of the Reddit group to come in and check us out. So, so like this is kind of like early momentum is like super important for crowdfunding campaigns. Oh man. I mean, it feels like early momentum in general is important for, for anything. And obviously there's, there's ways of building something into a successful company without having that initial success. But for us, 
we rode that wave into basically an appearance on Dr. Oz about a month later and, wow. and continue to build into, uh, <laughs> yeah, like an, a legitimate brand. It was also a fire show though, because we were like, wow, mm-hmm. this is our first business and we have no idea how to handle an influx of customers. So we, we learned our lesson early. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine like a lot of the maybe imposter syndrome kind of popping up or like looking at each other, like, what are we, what did we get ourselves into? Do you remember oh, looking yeah. back like certain things that, um, you know, if you were to do it all over again, were either um, mistakes or like things that you recommend other entrepreneurs that are getting this kind of quickly early traction, maybe fast moving faster than they're comfortable with uh, mistakes that you stumbled into that you recommend other uh, founders look out for? Early, we're like, like, while most people might have like, you know, fulfillment centers or like shipping, shipping uh, centers, like all the product got shipped to Kent's place. So we had like 4,500 pounds of gum from that first MOQ that got dropped off without, you know, a loading dock. It was like Kent's, Kent's place. And like, it was like going box by box over with a a, a dolly to drop it off. And this is like, those were the type of memories though that you look back on and they're really fun and like it makes you appreciate all the other elements of business as you start to scale. So moving away from apartments as a fulfillment center, um, moving away from like Kent's phone as a customer service line to actual proper customer service line with a customer service email, like all those little things and tidbits that you learn along the way, um, going to the mailbox or the post office to drop product off. All of those things are, are part of that experience. But to to give you context and the people listening, it wasn't just like overnight we quit our jobs and we were doing this. It was like about a year and a half. We were still doing our full-time gigs while managing this. So we were able to, you know, you know, pay for rent, you know, pay for our day-to-day stuff uh, while like fueling this dream. It was, you know, we had. Was it hard to balance like the, the year and a half between these basically two full-time jobs or did it feel like a full-time job with Neuro uh, when you were? It was definitely like two full-time jobs, right? It was like this one where, you know, like my, my, my team at who also was really encouraging. They're like, Hey, like, it seems like this is something that you're, you know, really passionate about. Like, why don't you go and pursue it? And if it, and then my, I just remember my, my manager was awesome. He was like, if it doesn't work out, which it won't, it will, it'll work out. But if it doesn't, you have a job you can come back to. And it's just like, awesome. it's a really supportive environment. Um, you know, I urge people who are, you know, at full-time jobs now that are looking for a different career change or, you know, on the fence about taking that leap of faith, um, you know, find a community that's going to be supportive, whether that's a partner, a parent, a, a sibling. Um, sometimes you just need to talk to them and, and see like what you can do because oftentimes you want to test it out. And if it doesn't, you know, there's, there's different, there's different avenues. It's not the end of the world. It's not life or death in a lot of ways. So um, that's just like a tidbit of information. Mm. I think for us, we were like, it was getting to be too much. And then we we're seeing that momentum. And then, you know, we, we, you know, we left about a year and a half in like a little less than a year and a half in, but yeah, when we went full-time neuro and, uh, and that's really where you start to see a lot of that growth. Yeah. And one of the other things that you had mentioned to us about these early lessons was around trusting your gut with, uh, investors and advisors. Tell us more about the kind of lessons learned, uh, here. We, yeah, like at the end of the day, we never, and we got very lucky with this too, but with the people that invested in us or the community that invested into us in the Indiegogo days, there was just, like Ryan said, immense support and trust in what we were doing, knowing that we were 
first-time entrepreneurs. And it never became this environment of you have to do this you and you need to hit these numbers. You need to hit these goals because, you know, despite the initial success, it, we weren't growing at any tremendous pace, primarily because uh, to answer your previous question, it's we didn't have a top of funnel tactic set up. We didn't have a retention like tactic set up. We didn't even have anything beyond the basics of MailChimp set up. And it, you know, the customer service line was literally in my phone. Um, and it, in this process, this fact that people were so encouraging and allowing us to validate so many of our ideas is what kept us going without burning out. And the main, you know, it, to, to us, when we've seen other entrepreneurs fail, it feels like burnout is a real thing. Like that, burnout is one of the biggest reasons most businesses seem to fail. And we were fortunate enough to not experience that. Mm, that makes sense. And so you were, when you were getting started though, this was, did you have opportunities that people were approaching you with kind of trying to pull you in one way or the other, whether it means investments or giving you direction on which way to take your company? Like how do you, uh, you know, make sure that, A, you know, you do take the, you, you listen, uh, but then you also are able to filter and make the decision that's right for you and the company. Yeah. I think we were super, oh, absolutely. yeah, we were really fortunate to have a lot of investors that were entrepreneurs or like grand companies. So, they could kind of understand the the roadblocks you go through, whether it's like supply chain issues, especially now with COVID, um, you know, just production delays, like the different types of marketing strategies, things like mistakes that you're going to make, but lessons you're going to learn along the way. And so we had people who were really patient, fortunately, um, and, and we were able to attract a pretty, pretty awesome team of like angel investors to, to, to do that. Like, um, yeah, shout out to a lot of the, you know, backers early on that, helped us get to where we are. And did you, was there a certain point where you felt like you could kind of catch your breath and start working on building those foundations that, you know, were missed early on? Like you mentioned, having some kind of funnel or retention process. Like when did that, when was that opportunity? When was that opportunity? Well, with the advice we got from the, <laughs> these other entrepreneurial people, we started implementing all of these things. And is, you know, it, it wasn't that, uh, advice and direction wasn't given to us because those were all absolutely valuable things in, in our success. Um, and indispensable uh, pieces of advice were constantly given to us, but it was more so having a, almost like a, there, there's like these very authoritarian investors that we've heard horror stories about, and we were fortunate enough to never run into any of those or we subconsciously just block them out of our ecosystem. Um, in regards to like that, you know, these terms that we know, like the back of our hand now, the top of funnel retention, uh, like conversion rate, like CPA, like uh, CPM, um, all these things, I think just naturally started coming to us as we began diving into numbers, as we began exploring how our product can reach broader audiences. And it just, it was like a national, a natural transition over the course of several years into entrepreneurship. Um, and we're still learning. It's that, that's like the best part of business. Like it's, it's a never ending journey. 
Mm. I, I want to specifically talk about the the retention process. I, I think one of you had mentioned that you have a super high repeat purchase rate. Can you tell us what it what is it and like why does your system work? Yeah, I think in terms of like longevity, it's like you know we've had six years of data and looking back on it, any given month or you know diff- depending on the time frame, it's like about a third of our customers are like repeat buyers. So for us, it was the biggest challenge for us is actually educating somebody like that a product like ours exists. Like people go in, buy confectionery, mince gum, you know, just for the taste of the, the, the flavor profile, the fresh in their breath, um, don't realize that there's like added benefits or a brand that does that. And so I think once we introduce that product to somebody, it's, it's pretty high. It's like over a third, sometimes any given month, about 40, 45%. Um, so like our, our challenge is really just getting people to try the product. And so sampling is a really big opportunity for us. And that's what we figured. It's like, people just need to try it. Um, people are going to love it, hate it. They're going to uh, be indifferent, but the people who love it just absolutely love it. And, um, and we've grown such a loyal group of customers that um, they give us feedback all the time or products that they want to see changes that they want to see. And, and it's really built a community, which has been inspiring for us and has given us kind of the motivation to, to keep going um, already six years in. And, and we see this being a, a brand that uh, that's going to keep on going. Can you say more about that, that aspect of getting them to try? Cause it sounds like uh, once they do get the product, is it just enough that it works that they are going to be retained as a customer? Um, but then the biggest challenge is getting them to try in the first place. So you mentioned sampling, uh, where's yeah. the sampling happen? Like talk to us more about uh, all the kind of hurdles that you have to overcome and how you overcome them to get your customers to try it out for the first time. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were trying everything. It was like all the communities and and one, one community that really embraced us was like the CrossFit community. So being able to go to CrossFit events and having athletes try it, um, feel the effects, uh, become like ambassadors for the product. We were sampling at music festivals, um, like, you know, we're at Whole Foods nationwide or at CVS and we would do um, sampling at like Whole Foods, um, like JetBlue Airlines has been an incredible partner. We're in like all of their amenity kits. And so, um, you know, we, we see people try it and then, and, you know, we see people find, like, we, we get feedback on like, uh, surveys of like, where they heard about us. And, um, you know, you, you focus on these different cohorts of groups and people and, um, they become ambassadors for you and you, you either double down on it and, and try to look for other ones in the meantime. Um, but yeah, that's, that's been super key for us is, is really just getting the product in people's hands mm. and, and them to try it. Yeah, I was going to ask it, it, that the is sampling, uh, I can imagine it could get expensive or at least hard to uh, hard to attribute to where where the sales are coming from. So is it the surveys that that have helped the most with that? Well, it's 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 expensive to sample, but also with rising CPA costs on digital, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, like every, it's getting more and more expensive to to win over a customer on, on online. Like if you back into like what your product costs are, it might actually be cheaper for you to sample in, in, in real life, because maybe out of 10 samples you give, you know, five people love it. And then one or two become like, you know, customers, one becomes like a lifetime customer. If you do the math, it's probably going to work out better to do the sampling in real life. But then again, every brand is different. You can't give out a three, like a free you know, Theragun, but you might be able to give out like a free Theragun, like massage session in, in like, mm-hmm. in, in, at an event. And people are like, oh, wow, that like five minute, you know, session was like great enough for me to have that conviction for us. 
luckily we can sample it. People can try it, feel it pretty quickly. And, and we have like two pack sachets and, and, you know, the nine pack gum, 12 pack mint. So um, people can have enough, you know, trials to share it and, and experience it for themselves. So yeah, any, any, you know, entrepreneur, any, any product brand, if, if you can look at a way of doing sampling and like, like that example with Theraguns, you're not going to give away a $300 product, but you can give them like a, an experience um, or, or our friend's brand, which is um, brain Co. It's like a um, brain uh, activity monitoring app. Um, you can give people experiences in, in events and, and they can experience it for themselves. So um, there's different ways to do sampling in real life. And I think that's a, that's a great alternative to just only relying on digital. That, that makes sense. And you said also education is an aspect of that. I can imagine that when the, the sampling itself, if it, they take, they, they try the product out, they get immediate effect from it. That's kind of already, you know, done most of the job for you. But when it's someone that doesn't, hasn't come across you at an event, but maybe comes across your website or some other, you know, top of the funnel thing that you're doing. And how do you educate them on, on your product? What are some important bullet points that you want them to take away from that first interaction with you well po- doing podcasts like this i'm always in really <laughs> helpful at, or like any of the pr events um we also you know have a pretty uh, not so much anymore but we had a pretty great influencer program that uh, allowed just people that liked our product to be able to share and get uh and be incentivized to do so at the end of the day it's i think exactly what we thought would work for us, which was creating an approachable, portable product that enhances your life in some way. And we don't BS any of that. We're transparent about our ingredients. We're transparent about uh, how meticulous we are with our R&D process and our ingredients. And that's just kind of a brand mantra that will continue through with any of the future products that we do launch. Mm. And I want to talk about that, that kind of... Um... Uh, I guess interaction when it comes to to the to the website when they come to your website, learn more about your products. Talk to us more about the design that went into the website. I, I'm assuming this is not the first iteration of it. Talk to us about like what went into designing the, the kind of latest version of it. Oh man, and we're going through another design process right now. It's at, at the end of the day, it's really, here. <laughs> at the end of the day, it's really being able to tap into what which consumer what the messaging is to which consumer to imbue trust into them. And with the people that we already were able to get, you know, the original subset of, of chewers, they trusted the approachability, the functionality process. Now we're getting into this stage in our business where, okay, the trust factor is there. That's why we have such a high retention rate, even with the growth that we've been seeing. How do we make ourselves more lifestyle oriented? How do we make ourselves give more than what the product has to offer? And with the website, as we begin entering into like this next stage of redesign for it and branding for it is um, mostly going to focus on that. Like, But right now, the clean minimalist look the information that we share uh, is is all for showing that we are a uh, we are a product that you can ingest and you can trust to to ingest. 
Makes sense. Are there any specific apps that you use that you rely on that has made a that has been helpful or made a big impact on the, the business? We've been on Shopify forever. Um, we were so it's actually funny because I think initially when we were talking about going on this podcast, we were using uh, Recharge as a subscription platform, but we're there's so many more that are coming out, thankfully, that are solving all the recharges problems. And we're going through the migration process of using Smarter, which allows for uh, more personalized tactics um, for subscription customers, which is incredible. Uh, we're big fans of, of Printful, which is a website slash application that allows you to drop ship merch. And that's a special page that we have that we're not going to share to the public, but it's a special page we have just for our most loyal customers. Um, things like smile.io for validity to reviews has been incredible for us. Clavio and the robustness of their email marketing platform has been incredible for us. Um, those are, those are some of the ones that come, come to top of mind. Um, that have been indispensable apps. For sure. I, I think shout out, like on the finance side, like, you know, Ampla, uh, which was previously known as a gourmet growth has been great for us. Um, Anthony, who's the founder and the, the team there has been really supportive and just like cash flow, especially with a, a brand like ours where uh, you might not necessarily have to raise equity capital, but if it's really about just like getting inventory to service the demand and, the, and it's just about you getting the supply, uh, they're a great, they're a great tool for, for cash flow and, and like, um, getting cash in for, for, for all the day-to-day operations. I'm going to throw two more apps in there. <laughs> now I'm thinking about like how good they are. Uh, so as a person that was handling, that still probably has some PTSD from handling so many customer service calls, uh, Gorgeous as a yeah, customer absolutely. service app is incredible the way they can set up macros. Um, and it has made the customer service journey just way more fluid than when we started out. But we tried so many customer service apps ago. too. Like I, I can't even remember <laughs> yeah. like four or five other ones, but Gorgeous is like, yeah, it's been great. Gorgeous has been amazing. Um, and then uh, for um, SMS, uh, I'm, oh my God, I, I can't believe I'm blanking Zach's. Emotive. Emotive. Shout out to Emotive. <laughs> Shout out to Emotive. And, and there's CEO Zach, who's a, a good friend and just Dave. Really, there were so many SMS apps that came out at the same time, and they're continuing to push the bounds of what's yeah. possible there. So it's, it's like th- those two have been pretty indispensable as well. Another really good platform um, is is Crystal. Um, it's C R S T L, and uh, the founder of DeepD and their team, Superna, like are incredible builders. They they basically are creating this like master like command center for all businesses. So like it links together all the bank accounts, credit cards, but more importantly, um, all the records and orders from Shopify, Amazon, uh, Target, Walmart, uh, Whole Foods, all, all these big retailers that we're in, uh, it just, it, it puts all of it into, into one system and it allows you to see when you're going to get paid from certain retailers, what bills are due by importing like your, your bills from QuickBooks and all these other like accounting software. And it's, it gives you a really good understanding from like an operations or a finance point of view for brands to know like, where's my money and like, when am I going to get paid? Um, so again, that's, that's an incredible app. I think um, they're looking 
they're like in stealth right now, but um, a lot of brands are going to, I wish we had this like six years ago, it would have been super helpful, but uh, for they're solving a problem that no one has solved in the last six years that we've been in business. So um, really excited for them. And um, like I said, for sampling too, like gifting G Y F T I N G uh, the founders are awesome. Um, and they basically do these gifting experiences for really cool brands. Uh, uh, they support a lot of like, um, minority founders, uh, female founders. Uh, it's awesome. And so like they'll, they'll team up with live nation, um, or, uh, like TikTok, all these like big companies where they give them like these cool, uh, gifting, uh, like open, like unboxing experiences. So, uh, they're definitely a cool company to check out too. If you're, if you're an awesome brand and, um, uh, you want to, you want to get in front of really cool people. Awesome. And you can see all this, uh, in action at getneuro.com. That's the website. And I'll leave you this last question, um, for either for, for each of you, or maybe as a, for the company as a whole, what do you think is the most important thing that you can focus on to make the biggest difference in the business over the next year? Oh man, these last two years have been so just crazy for everyone that flexibility has been one of the key things that has kept us going. And, you know, thankfully our business has continued to grow over these last two years, uh, despite everything, but there is a major shift that we had to do from a company wide level to focus, to, to trim the fat and focus on what's important. And don't be afraid to don't like, how, how do I say this? Like, don't be afraid to try new things, obviously, but also don't be afraid to take a step back from everything that you have done. Go back and build out the structure and plan on what will be the most effective things to pursue success and, and start anew, um, which is what we had to do in several uh, departments. So, but thankfully that flexibility and uh, that structure has allowed us to continue to succeed. Awesome. So again, getneuro.com is a website. Thank you so much, Kent and Ryan, for coming on here and sharing all of your experience and advice. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.